Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Quite a lot to talk about this week, quite a bit of a traumatic week in some aspects, all the, the chopping and changing in uh, UFC, and then obviously the biggest fight card of the year, of the century, ever. Uh, we've got to talk about at the end of it. I think we should just get straight into it, because we've got quite a bit to talk about here, Ian. Um, 294, UFC 294 fell apart, and then it got back together within, what, 36 hours? Uh, 24 hours is what I saw. So, I mean, again, you went from, obviously, Oliveira pulling out of the rematch with um, Islam. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture, really nasty gash above his eye, suffered in training. Apparently, the UFC weren't very happy with him because he didn't tell them until he had it stitched up. And I think his argument or his idea, I'm guessing, I'm only speculating here, was if it gets stitched up and it heals, I might still be able to make it. But if you've not seen the picture, it's a it's a badass cut right above his eyelid and is like deep. Like even the stitches had not made any difference to it. So he fell out and you're thinking, right, my, my gut feeling, I've got to be honest with you, was... In comes Justin Gagey, because we know that man will always take a fight. And on 11 days notice against Islam is a tall ask for anyone. And then it gets dropped. Boom. Volk comes in to save the day and get his rematch on 11 days notice. That so is in- fucking ballsy. Interesting you should say that. And just before we get on to that, because everyone knows my opinion on Volk and uh, I can talk about him for days. The fight was actually presented to Justin Gagey and to Dustin Poirier, both of whom rejected it. Neither is that right? I mean, yeah. again, and again, if you're looking at a fighter, if you're going to take on one of the top pound for literally top three pound for pound fighters in the world, if you've not been in training camp, Volk probably has just started his training camp because it was announced, obviously, he's fighting Tapura at 297. So he might be in a bit better shape. Gagey and Poirier didn't have anything lined up, so they may be completely out of camp. Anyone taking on Islam is a big ask anyway, but on 11 days' notice with no training, I can't blame them from the point of their career. I mean, again, if you're looking at... But Gagey surprises me. I didn't realise that, and that was my initial thought, was Gagey would be the one you'd call. Gagey comes in. Gagey gets his chance that he's wanted all the time to fight for the title, but 11 days' notice for Islam is as far from ideal as you could possibly get. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't personally want to fight Islam, regardless of how much time I'd have to prepare. 11 days is crazy. And if there is any other people or any other person in the UFC that you'll be backing to take a fight like this on such short notice because of their status, it's got to be Volk. And it's a fight that I've been wanting to see for ages. I want to see this rematch. I felt like it was closer than it, it possibly most people would have thought it had been in the first one. And obviously, I want to see Volt become a champ champ. It's, it's it's a difficult fight on 11 days notice. It's a very difficult fight. You would assume he's been in training. You would assume he's been in camp regardless because that's what these fighters do. But is there any chance for him here? I mean, it's super brave and you've got to take your hat off to him. And again, it's the calibre of the man that like, do you know what? I, I, I saw an interview with him that he said, I want to challenge myself, you know, I, I, and that again, just elevates him above 
95% of the fighters that not only is he prepared to take on someone who's already beaten him, I know it's super controversial and, you know, there's there's certainly loads of arguments that he won anyway, but, you, I mean, again, that's a warrior, man. You know, to me, that is, that's what I want and expect of a professional fighter. Don't care about the time. And, and, and the one thing I think with Volk as well, Volk is, it always comes across as incredibly disciplined in that he's always ready to go. So I don't imagine he probably gets out of shape. He's certainly no paddy that's putting on 50 pounds, eating pies and drinking Guinness, Ricky Hatton style in between. So he probably remains at a pretty good level of fitness throughout, but fair play to him. But there's no doubt if we're being completely honest and we look on the wider business side of it, the UFC are going to have chucked him a shitload of money to come in to save that card as well. This will probably be the best payday of his career. Because not only is he doing that, but he's sa- he's saving that card effectively. So he he will be well remunerated for doing so, which he deserves to be to take to, to take that risk for me. Because obviously, if he had a full training camp, and given the way that the last fight went, there's real arguments that you could say you'd fancy him to to to, to do him. But on eleven days' notice is a very very difficult ask, and if he pulls it off he suddenly and all out of nowhere thrusts himself potentially into definitely one of the greatest of all time argument. If he's not yeah. ready, that puts him a hundred percent up there. And for me becomes the pound for pound number one. I know we've had this discussion in quite a lot of detail, but if he wins this, I don't really feel that there's much argument as it stands. Obviously that might then change should and as we expect, John Jones go and win his fight later in the year. But for me, he wins his fight. He's clearly pound for pound number one. Um, it's the first time in quite a while that he is going into a fight as the underdog. Obviously, as I'm sure that you would expect, the last time he was an underdog was against Islam, uh, funnily enough. And obviously, we know how that fight ended. What what route would you say is the best way for him to take to try and win this? We all know what Volk's strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are, the very little weaknesses that he has. Is there any way that he can surprise Islam? Obviously, Islam should know what to expect, considering he's already fought him before. I mean, if he was to try and surprise him, the, the route would probably be to play him at his own game, which is to try and take him down and do well on, on the floor, which he did surprisingly well um, in, in the first fight. Um, the key for me, and and if there was any holes that were shown in um, Islam's game, it was is definitely a stand-up. So if you're Volk, you want to be keeping that on the feet because he's an infinitely better kickboxer and puncher than Islam is. But we know Islam's game. He's very, as you say, he's, he's almost a carbon copy of Khabib in terms of what he's going to do. He's going to try and grab you. He's going to take you down to the ground. He's going to use incredibly aggressive control on the ground. And if he's not going to submit you, he's going to hit you with some heavy ground and pound. So, you know, you never know if Volk was trying to really catch him off guard. He might try and play him at his own game. But personally, that's not a very sensible thing to do, if you ask me. Yeah, and I think you're pretty much spot on. Had he taken this fight on significant more notice, I, I... Like I did previously, I was obviously wrong back then, but I'd be back in Volk again to be a champ champ. 11 days is extremely difficult, I think, for any fighter, regardless of 
the amount of prep they've done in terms of the camp that they would be in to take this fight. Like you said, it is a Warriors move. Props to Volk and, and fingers crossed he pulls it off. I just can't see it personally. Yeah, the odds are definitely stacked against him. Um, but he talks. people talk about chasing greatness. This is one of those moments that gives you that opportunity to do that. And when anyone dares to be great, that's what I look for in a, not only a fighter, but a man, someone who is prepared to take themselves completely out of their comfort zone, do something that the, you know, the fact that Gagey and Poirier, which I didn't know that, I've got to be honest, both turned it down, both at lightweight anyway, and Volk is obviously a featherweight, we know, again, show the calibre of Volk and his mentality, warrior spirit, and absolutely, again, you... It, it, the one thing you could argue in the same way that the first fight was is that he didn't have much to lose. That If he lost, people expected him to lose and he goes back down to featherweight and he's still the champ, which is exactly the same case again here. He's got even less to lose here because if people say suddenly, let's just say, for example, he gets smashed or even if it's a close decision, he's got the immediate, not excuse, but reasoning of, I took it on 11 days notice. I didn't have time to train so there's there's a lot of upside in terms of the money that he'll be getting. I don't know how it will work. Back to the point we talked about last week, that champions get pay-per-view points. He's the featherweight champ. Does he get pay-per-view points on this as well as his big payday, which he might do and might be a fact. Fa- again, if I'm his manager, I'm negotiating that. Well, I'm the featherweight champ, so I should be getting some pay-per-view percentage. He could be talking about a, a, a huge payday for what is very little downside. But the one you've got to feel sorry for, which is 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 weird, is, is Gamrot. Um, Gamrot was the, the, the backup for the original fight and he's just been bounced to back up for this fight, hasn't he? So you've got to feel a bit... If, if you were Gamrot, you would feel a little bit aggrieved. But I tell you what, Gamrot would have got smashed, absolutely smacked, wouldn't have been competitive wouldn't have sold anywhere near the pay-per-views. No one is clamouring for a, a, a fight between Islam and Gamrot, I can tell you that for sure. And that's the other thing, like you say there, about the pay-per-view buys. From a selfish point of view, I'll be honest, as much as I feel bad for Gamrot, I wouldn't really care less now that we've got a fight like this on the main card and on the uh, the main event. So, yeah, I'm sorry, Gamrot, if you, you listen to this on the, the unlikely chance. Uh, it's very similar to Charlo and Canelo in, uh, in that, the person moving up has very little to lose, and it, obviously very similar to Volk and Islam earlier in the year. If he wins, greatness awaits. If he loses, as you say, he's got quote unquote excuses behind it: the lack of preparation time, the fact that he's moving up in weight. So, you know, all power to him. Uh, it's not the only fight that was cancelled, as we noted. Uh, Paulo Costa pulled out. Um, Costa obviously not having a fantastic history when it comes to uh, these incidents, but he pulled out from Chimaev, which was the co-main event. Your notes are quite funny on this. Um, what, what do your notes say, Ian? Before we... well, the funny thing I thought, just as a preview that I haven't put in my notes, is so I saw earlier in the week that Costa was in hospital um, and it showed yeah. he had an operation, he had a staph infection. And he's got a big bandage on his arm. It's not quite a cast, but it's a bandage, a bit like when I had my surgery on my arm. Yeah, massive, thick um, bandage on. But he, 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 he posted a picture in hospital, but he said, 
I'll still be ready to fight. And I'm thinking to myself, you're in hospital a week before a fucking fight against Kamaev. Like, one, that's crazy. Two, I can't imagine there's any way the doctors are going to allow that. A couple of days later, it's announced that he has to pull out. And um, he's shown some pictures I've seen on on, on, on social media of the healing. And it, it is actually healed up quite well. You know, it's just it's just scar. It's not a, 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 an injury. I wonder if those pictures were from a few weeks ago. But yeah, m- my exact notes were... Uh, UFC looking for a new opponent for Kamaev. In bold, no one is taking that fight on 11 days' notice. I know that it was offered to Martin Vittori and he declined. And I've put, I can't see anyone stepping in unless there's a huge payday to get their ass whooped. And I can see Kamaev falling off that card. Literally, probably 12 hours after I wrote that, they announced that Usman's stepping in. I've got to give props to Luke, who you met, uh, one of your friends, on this, because when I was discussing it with him of who might potentially step in and save the Chimaev fight, we discussed a number of ones, a number of... I think I mentioned Izzy as a potential there, but that would obviously be quite difficult to make. And the first person that he said was Usman. Um, but it's long been rumours. Yeah, it's, it's been rumoured for a while. Usman has said that he'd like to fight him. He'd like to go up and kind of show everybody that Kamaev isn't this wrestling beast that he thinks he is. But again, not to hark back to things we've talked about, certain fights take bits away from people. And I can't... It, Usman at one point was a destroyer. 15-fight win streak, if I'm not mistaken, it was when he was champ and before that. But he's never been the same since that head kick from Leon that literally kicked him into the shadow realms and he's never come back. He obviously lost the fight. We saw, uh, again, the rematch from there. And I can't think that he's got a real chance. Um, I remember him being on Rogan. This is probably going back three or four years. And because of his his, his incredible wrestling chops and um, that that's, you know, he's a wrestler by default. It's actually, he struggles to walk upstairs. This is like a known fact that everybody knows that he can't run. He literally can't run in training. So the only training he can do because of the state of his knees um, from a fitness point of view is um, we would, we don't really have them over here. Certainly our gym doesn't, but you would call it cycling. But most UFC fighters, they're called airdyne bikes. So that's the bikes that have got kind of handles as well. So if you you know the ones I mean, where you're, you're cycling, but you, you're moving your hands as well. He has to do literally all of his fitness on those because he literally cannot run because of the state of his knees. So the fact that he can actually even fight and fight as well as he'd been fighting for years with knees that damaged is incredible. But I feel like he is one that Father Time's catching up with him. The, the damage he took from Leon has caught up with him. And as much as if anyone has got the wrestling chops to try and stop Kamaev's wrestling game, I'll be honest, I can see a smashing coming from Kamaev if, if he had to ask me. Well, this is his debut fight at middleweight for Usman and obviously some fighter to make your middleweight debut against. I, I was thinking about this and I don't know if this necessarily is a bad thing for Usman because he, he's quite bearing in mind his age, is he 35, 36 now, and he's quite a big welterweight. 
He, he certainly is. Fucking huge. Yeah, yeah he, on he that definitely size. has a big weight cut. So without that need for the weight cut, and obviously with the, the timing as well in, in back of the mind, would this actually slightly go for Usman? And is it going to be one of these where you see quite a big potential upset on this card? Uh, I'm going to say no, only because Usman has never been known for a lack of endurance. What, what, what you tend to find with people taking massive weight cuts and the effect it has on their body is the gas tank. And again, we've talked about this before, the, the, the damage and the impact that a massive weight cut has on you physically is astonishing. And it affects, you know, you, you ha- your recovery, you know, your, your gas tank. One thing that despite cutting a load of weight, Usman obviously does it in the right way and does it over a long period of time and does it properly. You can never say that he's always looked tired when he's gone into championship rounds. So I I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I, I can see the point that there's an upside. He doesn't have to make the weight cut. And I think that certainly helps him on 11 days notice. But endurance has never been one of his weaknesses. He is a very, very fit man and can ease, you know, a lot, the vast majority before he start, before he actually became champion, he was known as Mr. Decision. Every, almost every fight he had went to decision. A, a, lot of those were three, a lot of those were three round fights, not five round championship fights. Uh, and I'm not sure this, this is the co-main event. So I'm guessing it's a three rounder, but it, I, I, I don't see that weight benefit having the same impact as it could on someone who has to make those suits like Pereira, for example, we know how big a weight cut that he has to make. And sometimes that has maybe translated into his fights and he's been a bit slow and a bit sluggish. So I hear what you're saying, but I'm not quite sure that that would apply to Usman personally. So we're going with, from what we expect, two favourites to win in the co-main and the main. I think so. And I think the final thing I would say, which is very rare in these cases, I think there's a very big argument you can make that actually the change-up has actually made it a better card. I think yeah, if I was being perfectly honest, I'd rather see the Volk-Islam um, rematch and Islam, uh, sorry, Kamaev Usman as opposed to the previous two fights. I just don't like the fact that the two guys are coming on. Two guys coming on 11 days' notice is, is, is a crazy ask. And if you're either of them, or even say both of them pull them off, incredible. I'm going to back Volk just because if I don't back Volk, I would be doing myself as his biggest fan a disservice. Um, so fingers crossed for that. Um, UFC fight night this weekend. Is it worth talking about? Is there much to discuss? It's another uh, apex at Vegas. I mean, it can't be any worse than last week's, can it? I mean, the only, obviously, we only talked about last week's quickly, briefly. I know we're flipping around a bit here, but I'd said to you, the only fight worth talking about was the headliner uh, of Dawson Green. Green's a very experienced professional. He's had a lot of good knockout wins. He's taken some pretty brutal ones, but it was a good KO fucking laid him laid him flat out and made a bit of a mockery of the rankings, whereas Green's unranked and Dawson, I think, was 12 or 13, sparked him out, laid him out pretty hard. This one, you've got um, Yusuf versus Barboza. 
I mean, Barboza back in the day was an absolute killer um, when, when he first came around. Still got arguably some of the best kicks in the UFC. Probably the best kick KO ever. Again, I'm repeating myself here, but if anyone hasn't ever seen it, look up his spinning wheel kick KO of Terry Itim, Terry Itim an English guy, or he hits him with his spinning wheel kick, just stiffens it. One of the best KOs you'll ever see, and his kicks are incredible. But one thing I hadn't realised that I, I did read in the build-up, Barboza's 44 now. You know, that, that's... That is that that's old to be fighting in the UFC, and 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 you know you 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 Yusuf is obviously a bit of an up and comer. Maybe it's one of those that I, I don't know a great deal about Yusuf. I've got to be honest, but I can't help but feel that this is maybe one built for him to to, to try and have a good name on his resume. He's the number eleven ranked featherweight, whereas Barboza is thirteen, so technically he's higher ranked, but. A win will certainly boost him up the rankings and gives him probably the it would anchor his resume in terms of names on there. But um, the only other fight I would say that is remotely interesting on that fight is the women's flyweight co-main event, which is um, Jennifer Meyer versus uh, Vivian Aranjo. So uh, Meyer is the number nine ranked uh, flyweight with uh, Aranjo, the number 11 ranked. So that that's worth a watch. Maya is always pretty good. Very, very slick jiu-jitsu. Uh, very good uh, in the clinch. Um, that's probably worth a watch, but it definitely is better than last week's card, but not by a great deal. And obviously no one will be watching it because uh, everyone will be paying attention to the biggest boxing card in history. So, And do you know what? That's probably a sad thing that you're probably 100% <laughs> right. And I know you've got lots to talk about on your favourite topic of bullshit boxing. So we'll get there. We come we'll on get to that there. later. Just out of curiosity, just because obviously Yusuf and, and Barboza are featherweights, didn't touch on this. Volk was scheduled by all intents and purposes to take on Tapura next. And obviously this has come out of the blue. How are you feeling if you're Tapura? If you're sat there... He said he's still going to do it though, didn't he? Is it? Volk Volk has come out and said it has no impact on that. Unless I get smashed and I get a ban, I'm still fighting on 297 taking on Tapura. Which again shows the mindset of the guy. And the guy's just a fucking animal, mate. An absolute animal. So technically, we'll obviously have to see how the fight goes. If he gets a smash in and he gets a medical suspension, then that's potentially off. But let's be honest, even if he loses, even on 11 days notice, the type of fighter he is, he's very, very accomplished defensively. I don't see it being a battering. I, I, I could see him losing a decision. I could see him getting maybe subbed in which case he won't take a lot of damage. So I've got to be honest, I, I, I could still see that going ahead. And if I was Tapura, I wouldn't be too upset and I'd still be thinking and I'd still be preparing for Volk at 297. I like the idea of uh, Volk walking down to the the ring, well, Octagon, sorry, classic there, uh, wearing the, the two belts either side and looking like Timmy Tenmen. Just it's the dream, is that better than McGregor would ever have looked? Um, you can't, say, you. you can't say it. That is one of my favorite photos of all time. I, I know I, I can, I, I love McGregor. My love for him's fallen off a bit since he become 
ever since Mayweather. That was the downfall. He made too much money. But that is an, an, as an iconic MMA photo as you'll ever see is when he jumps on the top of the ring after he's laid out Alvarez with both belts on his shoulder. You know, I think he was the first, I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure he was the first champ champ. Don't think. Don't look at me. You're the expert. If if not, he was the second. He was either the first or second, but that is an iconic picture of him with both belts on, uh, on his shoulder. And that will live long in my memory because that as well, the way he pieced up Alvarez at that higher weight was super impressive. And that, that was me. Aldo, Aldo and Alvarez are McGregor's two finest moments, if you ask me in the cage, in terms of performances. Randy Couture? Or is that just that he earned them and set he, ha- he I, I think he 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 was light light heavyweight champ and moved up to heavyweight. I'm not so sure he was champ time. champ at the same time. No, so I could be wrong there, but I have a feeling McGregor was the first real champ champ. You have Nunes obviously became a champ champ after that. I'm not sure she was second. She's she's in there, and I'm sure there has been at least another one as well. That, so I'm um, looking through it. Yeah, I'm just looking through the UFC's history of champ champs, and it starts with Randy Couture, says BJ Penn, but both of those seemingly only held them. Yeah, only held them at different times. times. Definitely yeah. weren't concurrent. And then McGregor, it says very clearly he became the first fighter to hold the UFC titles in multiple divisions simultaneously and coined the term champ champ. And then Cormier's there as well, and Nunes. It was Cormier champ champ. I mean, again, Cormier definitely, definitely won light heavyweight and heavyweight. But I'll be honest, that just before vacating his UFC light heavyweight title, he defeated Stipe in the heavyweight division to become so in UFC two two six to become the second person to simultaneously hold the champion of two divisions, and then. Nunes basically vacated the title. Yeah, Nunes third, and then Sahuja. Was there as well, and then obviously Volk being fifth because he's going to win. Um, Hopefully big, so. We, I mean, we all hope yeah, for fingers Volk. Crossed. And, fingers crossed, definitely. And as you say, I, I, I will certainly be rooting for Volk. And um, you wouldn't call that an upset, but that would be an outstanding accomplishment. In go yeah. down one of the great greatest accomplishment accomplishments in UFC history for me if he pulls that off on eleven days' notice. And I think he deserves it as well, so as uh, fingers crossed. But the big news, I've tried to say it three times now, um, the big news is that the uh, UFC and USADA are officially parting ways in 2024. Um, USADA has claimed that the relationship has become untenable and has quoted the Conor McGregor situation. So the United States Anti-Doping Agency will no longer oversee the UFC's anti-doping program once the current contract expires at the end of 2023. They released a statement. The CEO, Travis Tiger, basically confirmed, yes, the UFC's Conor McGregor has officially re-entered the drug testing pool following his log absence. However, talks have broken down between the UFC and the USADA uh, for an extension. It says that the UFC has opted to end the partnership starting in 2024. And basically... It seems to be because money is clearly an influence, but because McGregor is going to be bypassing the uh, six-month 
length testing pool that you're supposed to enter. You're supposed to obviously return two negative tests as well. And they do say at the end of their statement, which I think is a little bit of a kick. Unfortunately, we do not currently know whether the UFC will ultimately honour the six-month or longer requirement because as of January the 1st, 2024, USADA will no longer be involved with the UFC anti-doping programme. Where did the UFC go from here, Ian? I'm not going to profess to be an expert in anti-doping organisations. There's no doubt in my mind that the uh, UFC, because of the fact that they cleaned up the sport that they did, um, they will partner with someone else. That could be VADA, would be the obvious one, but not the voluntary, because we we get this again, it is probably my pronunciation. We've got, haven't we? We've got to make this clear. There's VADA with a V, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Association, which is basically the most bullshit used for things like misfit testing. And there's VADA, which is the World Anti-Doping Association. Now, neither are as stringent as, as USADA in terms of, turning up at six o'clock in the morning at guys' houses and waking up and making piss tests. But the way that the UFC have cleaned it up, they can't now go back to those wild, wild west days and let people start taking roids all over. But the two points, you've nailed them exactly on the head. I bet, firstly, USADA asked for a shitload more money than they were already getting paid. And Dana was a bit like, hang on a second, fuck you, we pay you enough. Two, and the one that I find slightly strange is clearly the, the disagreement about Connor. And there's a couple of elements to that. The first one is there's always been an exception that the UFC can overrule USADA and put someone in the pool, give someone a fight if they've not been in the pool six months. So I don't know why USADA are taking particular umbrage with that now. Secondly on that, I saw a tweet, I think, this week saying McGregor's back in the pool. He's been training, allegedly, back properly for like three or four months since the Chandler situation. So why the fuck has he only just gone back in it now? I literally thought he'd been in it for the best. I actually thought we were probably coming up to him being in it for six months. It was McGregor himself that posted that he had been back in this pool. I think he put like a little snippet from whether it's an email or a little announcement, etc. And then posted it on his... Do we call it Twitter? Do, are we, we're supposed to call this X now. No, we're still calling it Twitter. Fuck, Twitter. fuck that, the name. We're still calling stupid it Elon, you prick. Um, yeah, he posted it on his Twitter page and basically confirmed it and then posted a picture of him on a private jet, oh, no, private yacht somewhere, sorry, um, living the high life, which, prick. Um, but the danger here is, is, is exactly as you say. Do they get to a point now where they go to someone who is less stringent than USADA, which is a, a fair assumption, because as you say, no one is as stringent as USADA. And does that cause significant complications moving forward? Are we going to get people who are going to get away with bending the system? Um, there's been obviously a history of potential issues way back when, where people were allowed to do pretty much whatever they wanted to do. And USADA helped with that. I just, it's a little bit of a confusing situation for me. And it's certainly obviously breaking news and there's nothing really confirmed in terms of what the next steps are. Here's an idea for you. And Dana, if you're listening, I'm open to offers. Um, Why did the UFC not take that in-house? Now, I can understand that you could argue there's a conflict of interest there. They've been working with USADA for 
five, six, seven years. So they know the protocols. They know the way to do it. They could hire former USADA drug testers to continue that program and do it in-house. Dana, you need someone to head that up and run it for you. Give us a call. Here at Tapping Up, we'll be more than happy to diversify from being expert podcasts and world-class broadcasters to run in the anti-doping program for you. I'm not looking at people's piss. What? I don't look at people's piss, mate. I just organise when people's people go out to get people's piss. I'm not. I'm not a drug tester. You're not a drug tester. We don't know what we're looking for. But you, why can the piss, UFC? Why? Why if the UFC? Why couldn't the UFC? implement their own system based on the protocols that you saw to take well there, there's Question. no yeah I, absolutely there's no real suggestion that they couldn't do that i suppose um it's not like dana has got enough it? money here's one why doesn't he make, make up his own drug testing company the ufc arda do you know, do you know the, again i'm just the throwing tightest out businessman in the world investing loads of money on that no chance Unless it's but, like round back at bins. I, I'm just saying that there, there, there seems to me it doesn't need to be as much of an issue as it possibly sounds. The other drug testing um, organizations, maybe there's someone out. Maybe maybe they they they, they um, subcontract out to a private company. Why does it have to be a association, as it were, like that. Why not just do it with a private company who'd, who'd follow exactly the same protocols that you saw to do in terms of testing and rigidity and do it that way? It, it, it strikes me as not something that needs to be a massive problem. And I feel like the UFC are going to lose a lot of respect from people and it's going to encourage back to the wild, wild west days of Uberim and uh, TRT Victor if they just suddenly say, do you know what? We while we're there's going to be a free period while we're trying to work this out. Everyone's going to be like, right, let's get the get that get that juice, get that shit in my ass. I've got six months that I can get absolutely ripped and get away with it. So I feel like this is a problem that they don't really. That there's some pretty simple solutions for me. And to say, Dana, I'm open to a call if you want to talk it through. There you go, Dana. We've got a very own piss man for you. Um, I mean, the strangest thing for me with regards to the McGregor thing is I'm pretty sure that we both accept now that he's not going to fight until UFC 300. They're not going to put him on a card before that. They clearly want him on the, the main centenary card. Is That's not going to be in less than six months, is it? No. And I mean, the only other thing you would say is if he's only just entered now, does that, ironically confirm all the rumours and the suggestions that he was fucking smashing the roids for his wheelhouse um, Hollywood debut. The fact that he's only just entered back now seems suspicious. But equally, from the UFC's point of view, it seems slightly suspect that they're letting him coach on the ultimate fire, as they have done, which was three, four, five months ago now when they filmed it, when he's not back in the pool. There's a lot of... this, 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 that announcement... And the fact that he's only just gone back in raises more questions than answers for me. What's wheelhouse? I mean, roadhouse. Oh, roadhouse, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, how can you not know what? Sorry, roadhouse, you're right. Yeah. We swear. Have, have you seen the original? Please tell me you've seen the original. Swayze. Yeah. Yeah. Because you go from Swayze in roadhouse and you're like, that motherfucker's hard as fuck. 
to then dirty dancing and you're like, I'm disgusted with you. What the fuck are you doing? He just diversifies um, his uh, pulling techniques, doesn't he? One time he can smash someone in, other time he can smash someone in, ironically. Fucking dancing in the water and shit. Fuck off. But uh, yeah. And every woman watching that and every woman who will watch that from now on absolutely loves it. So One of the worst really experiences that? of my life, the fact that I admitted I'd never seen that film and avoided it like the plague. And my girlfriend not only made me watch it, then take her as an anniversary present to, it. to see... Uh, to to see a show of it in Bradford, and I literally have never felt like falling asleep more or slitting my wrists. It was well, Swayze there. No, it's not Swayze. It was just some clown. It was just obviously it's, in, this is this is this is a play in Bradford. Did you think one Swayze's been dead? For I'm going to say I'm years, not mate. concerned about that. I think uh, forget <laughs> that he's been dead for a few years, but uh, sadly, um, but. Yeah, it was horrendous. And I'd always avoided that film like The Plague because why the fuck do I want to watch a film about some dude dancing? Roadhouse. Liverpool is shit, Ian. They're absolutely garbage. Um, I thought you were poor against Brighton. Deserved to lose. And Klopp should get sacked. And McAllister is the worst midfield signing I've ever seen. I was about to smack you in the face if I could until you said about <laughs> McAllister, which I, 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 I'm which struggling. <laughs> I'm str- I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm going against myself given that I said that he was a better signing than Slobberzai, which now makes me look like a complete mug given Slobberzai has arguably been our best player this season. McAllister, I, I like him. He did a good job for Brighton. He is not a number six and we've got to stop playing him there. That is the second or third time this season where he received a ball with his back to the field facing the goal. He's been mugged and robbed of the ball and conceded a goal. We need to get Endo up to speed quickly to get him back in that position where he's, he was originally bought for and get McAllister into a more of an eight role alongside Slobberzai because he's just getting mugged off game after game at the moment. And I feel like you've been a bit harsh there. So we go behind again. Looking at the game, Mo steps up as he always does as the Premier League legend that he will go down as and gets us back in the game. Um, Gross, I'll be honest with you, this is one I know you being the argumentative cunt that you are will argue not. You got Gross is lucky not to have got sent off for that penalty because he's not playing the ball at all and it's a complete tug on the shirt. Uh, I disagree. You'll be surprised to know. You're saying that's not a red card compared red to card. no attempt to play the ball, clear pull of the shirt when a man's in the that that to me, you cannot argue that's more of a red than um Curtis Jones's last week. No. Curtis Jones nearly snaps someone's leg. He gives him a little bit of a tug on a shirt. It's a yellow no, card. I'm not having that. Did he get it's a, a goal card? Scro- it's a goal again, we're going back to the rules it. Goal Double scoring opportunity that he clearly denied and had no chance of playing the ball. They were lucky that Gross wasn't sent off there and that would have had a big impact on the game. He was going to reach out with his foot just like a couple of seconds later, but you didn't allow him to because he went down like a sack of shit as Liverpool players tend to do. Problem for me then, so Liverpool build into the game, we're looking good. Gravenberg misses a shocker and hits the bar, which at 3-1... I think it would have been game over. And again, I don't know if you watched the game, but I think you'd agree at 3-1, they, they would have been struggling back. It would have been and game over that. I, th- I, thought I, I that... think that, that was dumb. 
yeah. Brighton still play play were playing pretty well, but I think three one would would put it done. It goes back to two all with some horrendous defending. I mean, what is Robertson doing? Just not playing it and completely Liverpool's fault to 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 um concede that second goal. And I can't deny with you that we're then actually very, very lucky because João Pedro misses a sitter played to him. Horrendous miss. Absolutely, absolutely should have scored, which would have made it 3-2. And if we'd come away with nothing out of that, that would have been, I I feel that would have been harsh. I can't say, you can't say Brighton were the better team. A draw was probably a fair result. I'll take that because normally you would go bias to Liverpool and say that Liverpool deserved to win. I'll I'll give you a draw because I thought that their counter-attacking was outstanding. It, It definitely helped that McAllister decided that he didn't know what ball retention was anymore. Well, I think he forgot what team he was playing on. I think he thought he was playing for <laughs> Brighton again, is how it came across to me. And he should have been oiked off at half-time because he was having a fucking mare. And he is, as you say, more and more it goes on. You, again, props to you. You said Slobber's Eye was the far better signing. I said I thought it was McAllister. That is worlds apart at the moment. Slobber's Eye has probably been our best player this season, if you ask me absolutely blown me away with with how good he's been um super impressive whereas McAllister I feel like he's he's getting a rough ride because he's being played out of position he's not a six he needs time on the ball Brighton play a high pressing game we've talked plenty of times about how impressed we are with Deserbi as a manager and they clearly had targeted him uh I thought the way that every time he got the ball there was someone on him because he likes to take a touch and turn but I think that's if it's not the second, it's at least the third time he, this season he's given the ball away in that exact position, and we've scored. They've the other team have scored, so we've got to that. The, the argument that I'm hearing from inside the club is that Endo's not up to speed with the way we play. He's far more used to playing in a four-four-two as part of a, a a two as a defensive role. He's not ready to play as a single defensive midfielder as we need him. But we need to get him up to speed and get him in there instead of McAllister because McAllister is not, not a number six. The only positive I would say for me is to say is I have been really impressed over the last few games with Gravenbach. Every time he's come on, he's made a difference and he's looking a real player. I'm really impressed with him. Really pleased. He, he, for me, if I had to go back to, I thought McAllister was the best signing. He's actually dropped down to the third best sign in the midfield. Slobber's eye, grab him back, then McAllister at the moment on performances. I wouldn't disagree. I, I thought, like I said, see, I, I thought that Slobber's eye, when you first signed him, was a fantastic signing. And obviously, um, Bald Pep came out and said that he wanted, or they wanted to sign him. And, and Liverpool had made quite a shrewd effort to bring him into Liverpool. Um, he, he's just, every time he's played, I don't think he's put a foot wrong for me. He scored, obviously, a couple of fantastic goals. He has looked outstanding every single time he's played. And then you compare him to someone like McAllister. But if we're being completely honest, that's why McAllister costs what McAllister costs. And that's why Sobersai costs what Sobersai costs. You, you're paying for your, your premium there, right? And you're paying for your, your quality. So. I still think we've got, given, he was, I mean, he was Brighton's top scorer last season. You would have arguably put him in the team of the season. I, I still think we've got a bargain with McAllister at 35 mil with add-ons. But what's been impressed me the most with Slobber's eyes is total game. I, I, I thought he was a, from from the games I'd seen him play for, for Leipzig, I had him down as a relatively frail attacking midfielder sort of winger that would create you chances. 
what I've been super impressed with. He can do everything. I mean, he's the closest thing Liverpool have had. And this this is going to maybe be a bit bold here and maybe a bit hyperbolic. He's the closest thing I've seen in a Liverpool shirt since Stevie G. He can do a bit of everything. He tracks back. He's fucking quick. He can tackle. He can, he can, he's always looking to push the ball forward. He's, he's, he's been out absolutely outstanding for me and, and blown me away with how good he is. I had no, no idea that he was as good an all round player as he's, as he's been playing at the moment. How close is Ten Hag to the sack? Because I feel as though the results obviously went their way this weekend. Uh, thanks to a very unlikely source in Scott McTominay. But had they have lost that game, is he teetering on the edge? Super, mate. He, I reckon he... I, I don't think he would have got sacked because I feel like because of the investment they've given him, but he would have been very, very close. And I think they got as, as lucky as it possibly good it could. I did see one funny um, comment from someone on some whether it was one football or something like that, that basically said, Eric Ten Hag is, um, every time he loses a game, he drops. So he would have been Eric Nine Hag. And when he gets to zero, <laughs> he's got to be fired. Um, Probably so, your dad joke there. Uh, I thought that was quite funny, I'll be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, talk about an unlikely source. I mean, the only thing you say, unlikely source, if I'm not mistaken, Barlakaku. McTominay is currently the second top scorer in the Euro qualifying with six goals for Scotland. He is, but uh, oh, we're going to spend any of this time of this podcast speaking about Scotland. Do we, do we have to do no. that? But I mean, they can qualify tonight. They play tonight. They play Spain Thursday. tonight. Spain tonight, Spain but they tonight. can qualify, can't they? Uh, what do they need? I, I can't. I, I can't see them getting a win there. But I mean, they've been surprisingly decent. What do they need to qualify? A draw? Or is, is that enough? Or do they need a win? I feel like they only need a draw. Um, but I, I don't know. I'll be honest, I don't really follow Scotland that strongly, thankfully. Um, but yeah, they can. I know that they can definitely qualify tonight. I know that I've seen I think that. a draw does it. I'm just looking at the table now. You've got Scotland. <laughs> Ironically, this is fucking 15 crap. 15 points. 15 points out of five. They've won five out of five. And Spain have got nine. So I think they only need a draw tonight and they're through. Spain are a funny team at the moment, though, aren't they? You know, given the players that they've got and and the quality they have, they they have some decent results and then some bad results. They have got a game in hand. So if they won the game in hand, they'd go up to 12 points and maybe closer. And of course, if they won tonight and then win the game in hand, based on the fact they've beaten Scotland, they would go above them in the league. But yeah, from the looks of it, Scotland only need a draw tonight to uh, to qualify. Spain might be an all right team, but they don't have the mighty Steve Clark in charge of them, do they? So uh, there's the, the big positive for Scotland going into that. Um, a bit of a strange one, really, this coming out. I don't know if it were unexpected. I don't know if it were completely expected. But Edin Hazard has retired at the age of 32 this week it was announced it seemed a bit of one of these quite sad statements that it it put out and it was essentially saying I'm aware that I'm just not good enough to play football anymore at the level that I want to play and I accept that and I'm going to move on to the next stage of my career whatever that might be I, I I was astonished mate I mean I know it hasn't exactly gone well for him at uh Real for the five years and it's crazy that he's been there five years um, but 
for a good two or three years, I think would be it would be hard to doubt he was the best player in the Premier League consistently uh, for what he did for Chelsea. I feel that he would have had plenty of options of where he could have gone and taken a pay rise if he wanted to carry on. Maybe he wanted to go back home to his homeland. He could have gone to Anderlecht to play with his brother Thorgan, who's at um, uh, Anderlecht. He could have dropped. There was a rumours he was going to drop down a league to the first division to play with his really younger brother. He could have milked it and gone to Saudi and probably still got fucking three hundred grand a week there. That it, it it blew my mind. And the only thing I can wonder is is it is he what I would we we, we discussed this briefly earlier in the week. Is he like a Gareth Bale? As in, d- does he have some other real passion outside of football that he's like, ah, fuck it, I'm not bothered anymore. We know Bale's was golf and he was like, do you know what? I don't care anymore about football. I'm just going to go and play golf. Has Hazard got a passion like that in the background that he's decided I'd rather spend my time doing that? Eating. Well, maybe, for, but I mean, in terms, we've, we've talked again feels like we're talking a lot about things we've talked about before here. Has there ever been a bigger decline in a player than they paid like 132 million for him, which you would have said was value for money at the time when they bought him off Chelsea. He ended, in five years, he played 76 games for Al and scored seven goals, which is abysmal. Prior to that, at Chelsea, 352 games, 110 goals. I haven't got the assists in front of me, but that would be crazy. 75 assists. Nice. So you're looking at that. And at Lille, 50 goals in 194 games. You know, they are the stats of a quality, quality um, player. He's only one of four. I'm going to put you on the spot here. He's only one of four players ever in Premier League history to score 15 goals and get 15 assists in a season. Can you name me the other three? Thierry Henry will be one, I'm sure. Correct. Uh, I probably couldn't name the other two. And for time-wise, I will let you tell me. I was surprised, I'm not going to lie. First one, big hero of yours, I know, obviously, uh, Eric Cantona, the treacherous bastard. Huge hero, yeah. Uh, In his first season at Man U, uh, did it. The other way, the other one, I never would have got in a month of Sundays, but was Matt Letizier. So, of the, other than Henri, who everybody agrees is an outstanding player, the other two people to do it, one karate kicks children, and the other thinks that COVID is a complete and utter lie and walks around with tinfoil on his head. And has one of the biggest noses in the world. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that i mean it's a pretty exclusive club uh to 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 be able to do that um but yeah it was uh really sad for me because you say from the drop in level of from from what he was at chelsea and how many years consistently he did that for chelsea to what he ended up with it's actually quite as you say i feel pity for him more than anything but it's one of these where I've had a look a bit further into it and everyone knows how good he was for Chelsea. I completely agree. I don't think that really you'll get many people disputing the fact that he was, if not in the top three, he was the best Premier League at the time in, in 2014 and 15 and obviously won the, the Player of the Season award at that point. He'd got two Premier League titles in his seven years with Chelsea. 
Um, you've already talked about his stats, the 110 goals, the 75 assists. Moves on, big money move, 28 years of age, goes to Madrid, probably a dream move in his eyes, in many people's eyes it is. Gets there, Gareth Bale's out of favour, Ronaldo's gone to Juventus, Zidane Zidane's your manager, big shoes to fill, but pretty much what Madrid were buying, they are expecting this outstanding player. And then when he first reports for duty, there's the pictures of him online looking a bit plump, should we say, um, out of shape, not looking the best. And are then... you fat shaming there? I think that's <laughs> well, fat shaming well, these days. I didn't say it. I just said plump. Um, and then when he picked up his first injury, I think just before the start of that season that he joined them, he started finding a little bit of form, scored his first goal in October 2019 against Granada, looked like he was performing quite well and developing an understanding with Benzema. And then as he starts to get slightly better and you think, right, this is the hazard that we've we've known and, and loved some people uh, in the Premier League. He then gets quite a nasty injury in the Champions League, I think, from Munier was the PSG defender that, that snapped him, um, damaged his right angle, was on the sidelines for three months, and then for the next three years found himself stuck in that miserable loop of, oh, he's coming back, he's looking quite good, oh, no, he's injured again, oh, no, he's coming quite back, and et cetera, et cetera. And obviously he had COVID in between that, so never got to full fitness ever again, really. And then here we are now. And I've just seen West Ham have offered him a free trial if he wants to go and train with them. But I, I can't imagine he's going to take that. I, I, I mean, it was a perfect storm, as you say. Injuries played a massive part in that. You've got to also say, particularly over the last two or three years, Vinicus Jr.'s uh, emergence as a, a world-class winger and one of the best players in the world has not helped him. Had he not sprung from you know anonymity to what he is now in terms of one of those players that might he might have got more chances obviously they bought Rodrigo spent a lot of money on him as well and he took his chance rather more than Hazard but yeah he'll go down at that period for me at Real has got to be for the, the two biggest wastes of talent that I can personally ever remember if I'm honest with you Hazard number one Coutinho, number Coutinho. two at yeah. Barca, when he went from us, he had the world at his feet and just it didn't work out. Now, they played him out of position. He had a lot more chances to play and to prove himself than Hazard did because of the injuries. Barca just didn't play him in the right position. They never really quite kind of gave him the license to roam off that left side like he did with, with Liverpool cutting in and using his right foot to bend them in. So his is maybe not quite as harsh, but... Yeah, if there was ever a, a, a number one person of, of wasted talent, uh, Hazard has to be it. Ian, it's finally here. It's the biggest boxing event of the year, of the the decade, of the century. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited. But but it's not bigger than Francis get... Ngannou, Tyson Fury. <laughs> how, how dare you? <laughs> Jesus! Before we get onto it, we've got to talk about Josh Warrington. Um, I said to you that there are two boxers that when I watch, I actually get a little bit sad if they don't win. Those being Anthony Joshua, I'm quite a big Anthony Joshua fan, as listeners have, have probably gauged by this point, and Josh Warrington, because Josh Warrington is a Leeds lad. He seems a lovely enough bloke and obviously always puts in hard work for it. This might be one of the most heartbreaking 
boxing matches I've ever watched because he comes out, he looks like it's the Josh Warren of old, looks like he's back in his prime, absolutely outboxes Lee Wood to a T. He's up on every scorecard by, is it four or five rounds? And then all of every a sudden... Judge, every judge had it 59-55 at the point. There, the there you go. And all of a sudden, so he just gets clocked and... I'll discuss it in just a bit because there's obviously excuses and there's mitigating circumstances. But the long and short of it is he dominated the fight and then he gets knocked out and loses the fight, loses his probably what is his last chance of winning uh, a final world title and becoming a three-time world champ. Um, just heartbreaking to watch. And the interview afterwards and he's leaning on the ropes and he's just like, I can't believe it. I absolutely cannot believe it. Did you cry? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Did you? No, no. Inside. But essentially, this, for me, all comes about because in the round that he does get knocked out and gets counted out, which is the seventh, Michael Alexander, who is the referee, stops Warrington without very little warning, or with very little warning, sorry, and deducts a point from him from hitting Wood in the back of the head. Seems completely out of the blue. There doesn't seem to be anything at all that would suggest that he was already talking to him about it. Warrington has come out and said, it's just completely Not to out of the and stop you there, though, but Wood had, yeah. watching the fight, Wood had a couple of times gestured that, hadn't yes. he? And what, what I'm saying yeah. is gesturing in terms of, I've been hit on the back of the head. And that might, yeah. I think that played a factor. And they, they were questionable, I would certainly agree with you, but certainly Wood had gestured to the ref a few times in the earlier rounds that Warrington was hitting him on the back of the head. What does that suggest, though, and without going on a tangent, if you see a fighter doing that in a boxing match and he's looking at the referee, he's talking to the referee, he's gesturing to say, oh, it's a low blow or he's hitting him on the back head, what would you usually say is going through that fighter's mind? He's a pussy. That he's getting beaten. That <laughs> yeah, he, he's looking, he doesn't he's looking for do. excuses. Yeah, yeah I agreed. Yeah. I totally um, agree. But I'm just saying, I, it, I, it, you say you, there was no warning or where did that come from? I can't help but feel the referee personally was influenced by the, the Woods' gestures in, in, in at least in a couple of rounds before where he'd made that. And again, I know we're doing it to each other, but people can't see it. He was going like that, wasn't he? He was making it very clear with a fist to the, ref to the back of the head that he felt he was getting punched on the back of the head. Yeah, the, when I say no warning, I don't mean it didn't look like there was going to be any sort of repercussion or the ref uh, hadn't stepped you, in and certainly said to him. Yes, and stepped in and said, stop punching them back of the head. Totally agree with that. And, and you took your spot on. Yeah. And obviously at that point in the round, even if he, he wins the round, he's getting a point taken off him. So he's got to try and win that round to make it a 9-9 round. Warrenton has said since, and he's done a little bit of a play-by-play of how he was feeling at the time and um, basically described why he goes so strongly. He decides, I've got to win this round. So he starts going in, he starts being a little bit more frantic and he starts trying to throw significantly more punches than he has done previously. And then at the end of that seventh round, throws one too many, leaves himself open and Wood catches him. And without obviously taking anything away from Wood there because he catches him unbelievably sweetly and then a couple more times, three more times as he's fallen to the canvas. I don't think that happens if that point doesn't get deducted. And then even with the count out, it's a very strange count out. This is a man who's obviously been in seven world title four. He has one last chance to win a world title. He is up on every scorecard. The count starts. 
He's walking. He's definitely on unsteady feet. He was definitely out. It's the end of the round. If he survives the count, he's got a minute to recover. And the referee counts him out at eight. And I get that he was turned round and he was looking at his corner. But as he turns round to look at the ref at eight, that's when it gets waved off. And I just, I'm biased. I'm clearly biased. But I don't agree with that stoppage at all. I don't agree with you on that point. Everything you just said there, I would agree with. Where I would call a flaw in Warrington's explanation there is, okay, so he's lost a point, so he feels he needs to win that round. Surely most boxers have an idea in a fight how they're getting on. He must have known he was winning relatively convincingly. You know, four rounds up on all judges' scorecards. So let's call it he gets the point deducted and he loses the round. He's still three rounds up. If he's getting good corner advice, they're telling him, Josh, you're winning this fight. Carry on what you're doing and carry on. So the only thing I, I, I'm, I'm just going to, again, just to be the cunt that I am and I dis- disagree with you. Why does he feel he has to win that round just because of the point deduction when he's so clearly ahead at that point in the fight? Because, bearing in mind, again, hypothetically speaking, but in my opinion, it will be because it's the seventh round. If he doesn't win that seventh round, you're then basically giving a, a drawn, oh, sorry, a 10-8 round out you to Lee Wood. So that's two rounds then taken back off. So he's then only two rounds in front. You've then got to bear in mind, it's got to go through a, a fighter's head, the championships or the champion's advantage, which we've seen multiple times in boxing. Whenever it seems to be a very close fight, the champion would usually return. And when it comes to stoppages like this one, you've got to always look back at at Tyson Fury. And I I say this all the time, the Tyson Fury fight, you would have been robbed of one of the greatest comebacks of all time in terms of him getting off that canvas had the referee not utilised the full count. And to count out Warrington at eight and wave it off without giving him that one extra second just to look composed, to grab his, his wrists, make sure his fists are steady, doesn't do anything like that, just waves it off. And I think it's just poor refereeing. I don't disagree with you, but just to go back to your point, and again, I love used to love Tyson, not so much that he's a pussy now. Maybe the fact that he's fighting Usyk eventually has, has changed my mind a bit. But not only utilised the full 10 seconds, got considerably more than 10 seconds. Let's, if we're, if we're <laughs> yeah. being totally honest yeah. here, we've got at least 11, and it was probably a second or two before the ref started counting. So if you had a better ref that was more sticking to the rules, Tyson Cadiz is being counted out on that. Was that the first Wilder fight or the second where he got sparked out like that? It was the first. It was a 12th, wasn't it? It was in the 12th round. But he got very, very fortunate by very, very poor refereeing. And I can absolutely understand Deontay's uh, issues with the count and with all the, 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 the shenanigans went around it. He still got up, which was incredible. And he still won that round, undoubtedly, in terms of boxing him out, outboxing him afterwards. But he was, by any stretch and anyone's view of the actual rules of boxing, lucky to get away with getting up off that count. Yeah. I mean, the one positive before we move on to what everyone wants to talk about is that it does appear that he will now move up in weight. I know we discussed last week, what would the next be for Josh Warrington? Would he just retire and, and take it there if he had have been battered? I think the fact that this was such a, a one-sided fight, apart from the knockout, which is strange to say, it's a one-sided fight to the person who lost the fight. Um, but Josh Warrington looks set to now move up in weight 
and Lee Wood looks also set to drop his featherweight championship at the IBF, whether it's IBF or WBA, I always forget, or WBA, sorry, um, and move up to uh, the next level. And it also seems like they're going to potentially have a rematch at um, the city ground, Nottingham Forest, because obviously Lee Wood's quite a big uh, Forest fan. And Josh Warrington is the only real person I can see, unless you get a world champion involved, who would be able to sell such a, a big ground out. Agreed, but that 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 would play that if you ask me, but again personally, if we're looking at some, particularly picking up on some of the points you've said, that wouldn't be a particularly sensible move for Warrington. We talk about the champion's favour. We know usually home fighters get the you know, if you're an American fighting an American and an English guy, the judge and it's a close fight, the judges are gonna go with the American. If you're fighting in your hometown in your home city where you're a fucking legend like Wood is at the city ground, if it's a close fight, I'm telling you now, Wood's going to get that decision. So for, yeah. it's a bold move by Warrington, but equally he can feel pretty or should feel pretty confident that he was very clearly winning that fight. Error, you call it, whether you call it an error in judgment, a lapse in concentration, uh, just as you say, um, something got inside his head because of the, the 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 point deduction. However, you want to describe it, but he was very clearly the better fighter. He was ripping him to the body, some vicious body shots. He was catching him. On, I mean, I'll be honest. The, the, the main point I took out of it: Woods got a fucking chin on him. Yeah, he, he, he took very some resilient. real, yeah. real punches to the to the face I mean, and body, and carried on pretty. Looked, he didn't show the damage that he'd taken, which was pretty. Warrington doesn't have strong uh, punching power, if we're honest. Though he, he's quite a, he's a Nate Diaz. If you're losing an MMA, yeah. he's, he's a yeah. volume puncher rather than a power puncher, isn't he? But he was ripping him to the face and body. And I, I, I one of the things I took away from it personally was I thought I, I was like, fair play to Wood. He's he's got a chin on him and and some some abs because he took some real hard shots to the face and body and carried on walking through regardless. So I was, I was relatively impressed with Wood with that, but if Warrington goes back, looks at maybe those holes, studies a bit of tape, tries to stay a little bit more focused and not, you know, maybe he's one of these guys, again, this is something that's not talked about a lot and sometimes comes up in MMA. Maybe he needs to speak to a a sports psychologist, you know, again, there seems to be this stigma around sometimes, Speaking about someone like that who can put you on a, a performance coach and, and 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 fill some of these mental gaps that these guys have, they're clearly physical specimens. They can do all of the other things. Has he got a bit of a not a loser's mentality? But given that he's lost now, what's that three of his last four? He's lost. Does he does he need someone of that type of ilk, a, a sports psychologist or that type of person to give him a bit of a? you know, a talking to, give him some lessons. And you hear a lot about, uh, particularly in the UFC, not so much in boxing, people going to sports psychologists and seeing a real significant improvement in their mindset and the way that they deal with things. So again, not uh, far be it from me to tell someone of just Warrington's level what to do. But if he's not speaking or considering something like that, I think that would be a very sensible person to add to his team if he's looking to the rematch. Let's get on to the prime card, Ian, because I know you're itching to talk about it. I clearly am. We're finally here. KSI, 
battles Tommy Fury this weekend in a much-hype boxing showdown in Manchester, with the co-main event being Logan Paul fighting for his fiance's pride against Dylan Dennis. On that, just before we get into the main event, there has been an altercation between Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis in the final um, press conference in which Dylan Dennis has struck Logan Paul over the head with a microphone and apparently caused quite a bag wound. And with that in mind, uh, there has been a face-off between Dylan Dennis and Mike Perry as a potential backup. I mean, where where do we start? I mean, for us, Mr. Pullout, the fact that he's still fighting is incredible for me. The only reason that he's definitely still fighting is he, he's given so much shit about Logan. Is it, I, again, you know far more, is it girlfriend or is it fiancé or even wife? Fiancé. That he could not have had an ounce of respect in any world, let alone the, the, the fighting or MMA world if he pulled out. So even if he probably wanted to pull out, and I saw a few jokes that he was offering his services. I think he offered himself his, his, his services to fight Kamaev. I saw in a joke saying, I've got nothing on this weekend. Jesus. And he calls himself like the pullout champ. He knows he knows that. But he's got to follow through with this. Now, we talked about it. For me, if he pulled, I actually almost wanted him to pull out because Mike Perry is a fucking destroyer. He is he 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 might be the best bare knuckle boxer in the world. If you looked at it, he's the current bare knuckle boxing champ of his weight. No, I can't think of anybody's skill set in terms of boxing and the way that they handle the transition from MMA to, to bare knuckle boxing, who's handled it better than Mike Perry. He's an absolute savage guy. And if I was Logan Paul, I would be thinking... I do not, under any circumstances, ever want to be getting in the ring with Mike Perry. Mike Perry would take his fucking head off and literally could murder him. So if I, he needed to be hoping that that's happening. Now, is there a little bit of showmanship in this? I can't imagine for a second, Dennis, if he's that stupid, who from watching his boxing workouts looks like a joker, to be fair, as is Logan Paul, wants to injure Logan so that Mike Perry steps in because he could then get laid out flat within a round easily. Mike Mike Perry is all of this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm actually even shocked Mike Perry wants to be involved with this influence of boxing. The only reason I'm guessing he's involved is a massive payday. Exactly. He is so far above the levels of these clowns. It's unbelievable. He is a genuine MMA fighter and an absolutely phenomenal boxer. The fact that he's even involved, either of them would think that that's a good backup, but he is a, I can't think of, that's like basically saying, oh, I might be fighting, me and you fighting with a backup of him, Francis Ngannou. That's the kind of like, no one, what like that's a a terrible backup for either of them. Mike, Mike Perry would absolutely slay either of them. So I can't imagine that Dennis has deliberately done that. And I wonder if there's a bit of showmanship there from Paul that is he want to ship Dennis up that now he might be fighting Mike Perry. But from what you're telling me, then there's a wound that's potentially 
fight stopping because of this microphone hit or whatever it is. Is that just right? Next to, yeah, just next to Logan Paul's uh, right eye, there is a, what appears to be a gash. So it would bleed in, uh, dripping with blood, but obviously any cuts on the face tend to be, if they're slightly deep, quite, uh, bleeding quite profusely. So whether it is showmanship or not, we'll, we'll soon find out. I'm sure we'll hear within the next day or so. I get the feeling if Logan Paul doesn't fight, and he's the one that pulls out, I think Dylan Dennis is going to say, all oh, right, never mind, we won't fight, because I can't see him fighting Mike Perry. No, no, none of these influencer motherfuckers. Mate, you could put, I, I'll tell you now, you could put Mike Perry uh, against Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis, and my money would be on Mike Perry and knock them both out at the same time. That Mike Perry is a serious, serious guy not to be fucked with. But equally, given the amount of shit that... Um, uh, even if there's an injury in play, unless it's medically induced, Logan Paul's going to look like a massive pussy if he now pulls out. He's supposed to be fighting be a level for his fiance's. He's supposed to be fighting for his fiance's pride, and oh, I've got a little cut. I've pulled out. That does not reflect well on him either, unless the doctors literally say you cannot fight. Just the odds on that as well. We're looking through Logan Paul if the fight goes ahead, of course. Is one to seven odds on to win. Dylan Dennis is nine to one to win that fight. So yeah, because clearly have you watch him box. He can't box. Uh, yeah, he's awful. And the only thing that I know about this, I know you know more than me, and I can't stand this shit, so I don't pay any attention. I've got two points on this. One we'll come on to, but one I saw was in his his open workout. So obviously in boxing you have an open workout. Dylan Dennis starts doing jujitsu. Yeah, what the fuck are you? You're not in a jujitsu match, bitch. What are you going to do? What, what on earth is that showing now? Whether that's trying to hide the fact of how shit a boxer he is, but I saw him. I, I watched a bit of the video. He starts pulling guard. He starts putting um, brabo chokes on and fucking arm bars. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is a boxing workout. Like it made zero sense to me whatsoever. Let's move on to KSI then. The main event. It's what everyone's been waiting for. Fighting Tommy Fury, as noted, uh, obviously KSI's last win, quote-unquote, was against Joe Fournier in May. That then got ruled as no contest because the quite el- was, it, was that the, he elbowed him. Elbow, yeah. the, the straight That's elbow to the elbow. face. Uh, for TNT, which is a horrendous nickname for Tommy Fury, uh, obviously younger brother of Tyson Fury, um, a defeat for him in this would be hugely embarrassing given the fact that he claims to be a genuine boxer. It's the exact same as fighting Jake Paul in that the only thing that he's got to gain is money. The whole, I've done this, I've look at how good I am. It's nonsense. It's nothing to do with ability. He should be steamrolling through the Jake Pauls and the KSIs of the world. Um, but KSI is slightly awkward. He's not like a normal fighter is not like a normal boxer. When you say awkward, do you just mean shit? Because whenever yes, I've watched him he's box, wilder. He, 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 he's like Wilder. He, he, if Wilder was shit. To be fair to him, he, he has some power uh, which he generates from somewhere, probably His steroids. Elbows. Probably steroids. Um, but he does not have any traditional boxing stance or moves at all. I'm not Tommy Fury's biggest fan by any way, but I don't think I've ever wanted someone to get knocked the fuck out as much as I want KSI to get knocked out and end this nonsense that he pretends that he's a boxer. Um, I There's levels to the game. I'm always talking about it. 
the fact that Fury scored Jake Paul. Jake Paul is levels above KSI. I only see this going one way. If it reaches a decision, I'd be shocked. I think Tommy Fury sparks him out. I'm going to go with him five rounds. I mean, it's only a six-round fight. So okay, it, no, it's a, what, what the fuck is a six-round fight? It's got at least be eight. <laughs> I thought it might at least be eight. Six rounds. I, mean, I could go six, six round rounds for fight's sake. Yeah, but, um, so you would expect, for me, that it'll be Fury on points if, if you're going to back it. I don't... Fury hasn't got knockout power, even against someone like KSI. If KSI wins this, it's going to be by knockout because KSI is never outpointing anyone in the history of boxing ever. So you would have to see a quite hilarious knockout. Um, Weirdly, the odds are Fury to win by knockout or TKO is the favourite. It's nearly evens. The biggest one for me is I would love to see the drug testing results of those because I saw a picture of Tommy Fury uh, and his, in inverted commas, eight-week transformation. And um, I'm just going to give one word to describe it. Juicy. <laughs> Roidy. I've ne- I've- um, yeah, it, is, it doesn't look right, does it? The veins are popping out of him. He is, as you say, I, 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 funny enough, obviously, just before we started, we did a quick Google because I was interested. Allegedly, VADA, so this is VADA, the voluntary, i.e. we just test fucking shit one. once in a year. So, no, you can cycle on and cycle off easily on roids. I suspect both of them are on ball levels of testosterone to get to this fight would be my suspicion. Um, but... The biggest point for me, and talk about either showboating and, again, making people want to dislike you. I read that KSI has got the most expensive mouth guard ever. His mouth guard cost a ludicrous £41,000. That's more than like people that have had three or four fights in the UFC who are genuine MMA fighters and have dedicated their lives to this get for a bonus. He spent on a mouth guard, which has got fucking his stupid bullshit drink. I'm not even going to say the name across it with diamonds Prime. in it. I mean, Prime diamonds. surely diamonds in your mouth guard is going to cut the fuck out of your lips, especially when someone's punching the fuck out of them. But if there's ever sh- this, it literally disgusts me that someone would be that much of a prick to get a forty-one thousand pound mouth guard. It just shows what happens when you have far too much money um, by selling what is essentially over-concentrated pop to kids and to wakey wines. To me, it's as simple as this. In one sentence, I hope Fury knocks him the fuck out, knocks his mouthpiece into the crowd. And someone steals it and good luck to that person and gets that 41 grand mouthpiece, whacks it on eBay and sells it for hundred grand or something. That's my, that would be my dream outcome that not only is KSI flatlined, but he's stretched out with oxygen. I would not want to see someone permanently damaged. I'm not that kind of guy, but I would love him to be knocked out so bad that he's carried out on a stretcher. I don't really have a foot in either camp in this one. It's not like the Jake Paul one where I wanted to see Tommy Fury knocked out because he was a pretend boxer. I still want that, but I also I'd like to see KSI humbled. So this is one of those where it's the opposite of the old alien versus predator posters that used to say, 
whoever wins, we lose. Because whoever wins, we win. Everyone wins. Literally, everyone wins. Um, we'll see. And I'm sure that you'll be watching intently just before you go on your stag do. That's a crack how are I for a fucking yeah. four day session on the stag do. Uh, just out of curiosity, because now that you feel like you've suckered me into it only because I want to see him get sparked out. Is it in England? Is it n- like normal time or is it Manchester? Where, where, where is it? Manchester, right? So yeah, Manchester. Saturday night, then I can watch this nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm sure that you'll be watching intently all the way through and desperate for your your boy, Tommy Fury, to knock out KSI. He is we'll 110% my boy in this fight. I am I, I want nothing more than KSI. Humbled is the word. And if there's ever a person that needs a humbling, it's him. We'll see. We'll certainly see. Well, that's all for this week. And we'll speak to you next week. 